podcast ain't played nobody. Uh, your college football marriage of numbers and words. I like being able to say that occasionally, uh, you know, I, instead of Godfrey. Um, so, Godfrey, I have yeah. a very important news update for you. Okay. Uh, in the second tier German soccer two Bundesliga relegation playoff, 1860 Munich got beaten and fell to the tier three. This is a big deal because, A, they're in Munich. Uh, they are. A, they have a big history. They won the top division in the mid '60s. Uh, they have been infighting and and ridiculous and and awful and way worse than they should be for most of the last forty years or so. They finally fell to the third tier. Uh, they, they were losing at home in the relegation playoff, uh, and it got so bad that fans kind of invaded the pitch for a little while. Uh, and then the next day, or sometime a couple days later, the chairman of the club, who owns 49% of the club and, and 49% of voting rights, etc., uh, announced that he was not going to pay for the license to allow them to play in the third tier, which just remains professional. They are going to be in the fourth tier, the amateur tier of German football uh, next year, and they might end up playing against Bayern's uh, junior squad. Uh, because they are that much of a mess and uh, they have taken penalties and they have fought amongst each other and uh, they are a disaster of a club in every way. So my question to you is when I'm college football commissioner and we get our promotion and relegation structure, what current top tier team with a good history of high quality play in the 1960s would be the club that completely falls apart in every way, gets uh, sanctions and fights among itself and ends up in the fourth tier. There's only one correct answer. It is Ole Miss. I'm thinking. What about... Ole Miss. Baylor. Ole Miss. Actually, (laughs) Baylor and like Penn State and all that, that's uh, something I haven't ever really talked about in that relegation stuff is like what... um, you know, that, that would be a, a fantastic penalty to levy if you're the NCAA. Like, you are banned from Tier 1 play for two years or something. Yeah. Uh, so, and you get, and, we and have... Up in the Southland Conference, yeah. We have this... We have a backlog of news items to talk about. Um, we're recording a little early this week because both of us are going to be at different schools uh, working on upcoming stuff. But that's fine to record early. We're recording on Monday. I think you're probably listening to this on Tuesday at the earliest, but... That's okay, because we have a lot of news. Um, we're going to talk about Stoops, and we're going to talk about some other stuff, but I'm for really bad audio and really bad podcast radio. I'm going to have really clipped, weird responses, because I don't think it comes as a shock to anybody. I'm working on a, a, a large piece about this, and have been for, oh God, Bill, a year and, like, in earnest, I've been working on this one thing for, like, a year and... Probably six months, I think. I think that sounds right. Um, and so I did a round of radio last week. Um, I was at, at the SB Nation offices for the NFL meetings. I'm just trying to piece back the, the timeline on this. So we recorded with our friend Mitch from Athlon last week, right? And we, last it was, Wednesday. Yeah, it was kind of broad view stuff. We... Had well, we we missed Bob Stoops by what two hours three hours? Oh yeah, our, we were uploaded. Our podcast was uploaded for about twenty minutes when Sto- yeah. Stoops news broke. And when we, I'm trying to think, we were like a day off of Ole Miss. Yeah, because I recorded with Bud Elliott over at the recruiting podcast, which is probably as most as much as I can talk about it. But there's new things that are happening. I mean, I can't really say anything about just yet because it's it's a whole thing. Um, but so yes. Here's my thing. 
This is um, Bill. Hold on to your butts. This is not. Let me say this. This is what it seems like, which is a school that got in trouble for doing some things against the rules. Uh, It is that at at its core. Because it's grown on both sides, uh, both with Ole Miss, with the NCAA, and with the the other schools that are now involved in this, it's way more than that, and it's going to get weird, I guess is the best thing I can say. How's that? I mean, I I know nothing that, uh, you know, nowhere near what you know about this, but... uh, Ole Miss doubling down is unique in and of itself, and uh, pulling pulling uh, or not pulling punches, I guess, uh, and, and trying to throw some some punches at, at Mississippi State in the process. I look forward to this. I have no, uh, I, I have I have no, uh, you know, any sort of investment in this whatsoever. I, I just look for entertainment value in this, and okay. I, I feel like there's going to be entertainment value in that. Yes. It's going to get very entertaining. It's going to get extremely, I'll, I'll put it that way, extremely entertaining. Um, and I also think that, you know what, I'm just going to leave it at that. Because if I sit here and I'm, <laughs> if, I, if I try and, and act foreboding, it doesn't, I don't want to inform anything that I'm working on. I'll put it that way. I, I will say this, when it is all over, I'm going to be so happy. And I don't mean... With an outcome, I just mean I'm I'm just going to be happy that it's over, um, because it's it's interesting and it's the kind of work that I want to do in college football reporting. But also, this one particular thing has gone on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And on. So, um, Bill, yeah, I still feel like even with Ole Miss and especially with Stoops, this is a soft transition into Stoops. We've had a really quiet summer. Yes. If you if you hearken back to about a uh, roughly a year ago, right now, it's <laughs> Let's Baylor. Never talk about the off season before twenty sixteen. Right, it's Baylor. Um, if you go back a couple different, uh, a couple excuse me, a couple different years, uh, you have various like tendrils of uh, realignment. I almost said relegation. You almost got me. Uh, we've had a exceedingly quiet summer. It's ironic now. When I was out on paternity leave, we had that little blip of Oklahoma. Right, that Oklahoma controls its own destiny, and or you know, Oklahoma is going. It'll be the. I think I said it was the. This was going to be the uh, the Archduke Archduke Ferdinand of the next (laughs) round of realignment, which is still totally holds true. Um, And so it turned out that yes, Oklahoma was going to have a a big shocking um, national news making event. We just didn't know that it was going to be Bob Stoops. It was probably the best way you could go out as a coach I don't know other than other than it had Oklahoma won a national title this past year and he's on the shoulders of his players and he just shuts it down then right um but in like a real world sense it was exceedingly Bob Stoops (laughs) and I think it can't be overstated it's just not being talked about that much like that dude left and they won 11 games last year yeah he won his last uh, what not ten, I think. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly. I, I mean, we we maybe don't know the whole story. Maybe there's more details behind it about the timing and whatnot. But in terms of just leaving, uh, having won, you know, the Big Twelve your last two years, have a whatever game winning streak in conference, ten game winning streak overall. Um, 
I always, it, the timing was still weird. I mean, it's, it's a June retirement. That's always going to be a little weird. Uh, not that there's like a backstory we need to know about, but just, uh, it's just weird. It's just not normal. Uh, and, um, I really, it was, I, I mean, I, I always expected Stoops to retire early. Uh, you know, he always, he had the thing about his dad dying at 54 and all that, and not wanting to do this forever, wanting to have a life, uh, after co- coaching. But I thought that meant, 60. I thought that meant he was going to retire in the next three or four years. Our friend Alan at Bladen Homerism, he wrote this morning, he was kind of guessing maybe the tea leaves were, he was reading the tea leaves to think that maybe 2017 would be the last year. And then boom. <laughs> and so, um, I, you know, I, if you're Lincoln Riley, you can't really inherit a better situation just in that, like, you've got more talent than anybody in the conference. Um, you've got a, a, a senior quarterback who can kind of serve as kind of a, a, an offensive coordinator on the field in, in a way. And I think for the most part, you've also got real, uh, you've got expectations that are just real enough that you're not really going to be expected to be a national title winner this year. So yes, there's going to, well, I mean, I just, the reaction I got from uh, OU fans, I think they're going to lower the bar 1% on for, for Lincoln this year. Okay. And basically they're going to, they're going to expect to win the national title or the big 12 title. I think that early game against Ohio state might serve as a way to kind of just eliminate national title hopes from the picture. And then you can focus on the big 12. Um, now next year, you know, since Bob Stoops won the title in his second year on campus, um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, that it'll change next year. But I think this first time around, they, they're going to have a really good shot of winning nine, 10, 11 games to well, 10, 11, nine would probably be disappointed to them. And, um, I, and, and I don't think the expectations are such that they're going to go 10 and three and it'll be a crippling disappointment. And we need to fire a real coach because we're settling for me. Uh, we need to hire a real coach because we're settling for mediocrity. So um, decent situation for him, but it is, man, I mean, it's, it's 18 years. <laughs> 18 years and over half of those were big 12 titles. And, uh, you know, I think if, if not for Nick Saban kind of redefining the, what we all define as like success or sustained success, mm-hmm. Saban and, and, and Meyer to a certain degree, like he was maybe the third best coach of the last 20 years, definitely top five. It's interesting. The, uh, as I, as I climbed up as a reporter, my perception of Stoops, I think did a 180. Huh. maybe not a 180 because at the end of the day, if you're if you're especially bad with the media, almost purposefully so, like I don't particularly appreciate that because I'm not saying that you have to be, um, a, you know, Mike Leach or anything, former Stoops assistant, but you do have to. He he borders on like non-cooperative, which is tough. But uh, from a distance, you see him in press conferences, you see the clips and the quotes, and then I would get around him at those press conferences, and then got him around got around him in, in less formal settings and then less formal settings just as I as I climbed the ranks or I guess and uh, his personality as you as you get further away from the press conference bubble like he it's totally different he's he's uh, beloved by former assistants yeah beloved I mean really really I can't I can't sell that enough like he has a really impressive tree. We've talked about it on the show. I don't know how many times that the difference between Stoops and so many other guys who tried to build long-term runs at major programs in the modern era was that he hired assistants really, really well. He hired good assistants, and then he let them coach. I think we probably beat that to death during the Les Miles firing. Um, 
it's, uh, you know, you tend to want to compare him to Mac, and I think that's just because of the rivalry and not necessarily because of the situation. But, um, I mean, short of Urban Meyer, I don't know of anyone that's hired as, hired as well so many times as Bob Stoops. And, you know, honestly, I think maybe his, his best move was, was Heupel a co-offensive coordinator? Yeah, he was a co-OC. But with still, Norvell, with really, Norvell, yeah. Yeah, with Jay Norvell, who I know, like, he technically fired him, but Norvell's now a head coach. Um, that was a really hard move to make, especially within a lot of influential circles at, at, at OU, and Stoops did it. He wasn't afraid of rebooting. I know he did hire his brother, yeah. but sometimes that was for the better. You yeah. know, the first time around, that, that worked, so you can't really criticize it too much. No, but. I mean, he, yeah, he was a, a renewal guy. I mean, he reinvented a lot of things. Now, I mean, you really can't question the – it, it definitely sounded like kind of a, a stale marriage kind of situation with Venables. And, and so even though, like, I understand, like, why that change occurred, even though they, the defense got worse when he left, I still get it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, other than bringing his brother back, most of the time these renewal efforts were successful. And even with his brother, like, they, they they've probably in terms of the national in terms of the blue blood programs they've tr- experimented the most when it comes to getting smaller and faster on defense in the name of like accounting for spread offenses and that's hurt them at times um you know they've gotten they've gotten pushed over at times but they were still experimenting they were still trying to figure some new things out and right. um and that's always kind of admirable obviously i mean obviously there's a you know spencer wrote about, on i guess thursday about this um uh, you know, there's a there's a black mark whether whether it was just odds you know i i asked my my best friend from high school is big ou fan his brother played for ou um i i asked him if he could think of any sort of you know because because of these the, the domestic assault issue and the joe mixon issue and all these things that kind of popped up late in his career from shannon to dgb to uh mixon to dd westbrook um uh, what you know i we're, he was i was asking him you know are there were there incidents early in stoops's tenure that i'm forgetting because i'm mean, 18 years is a long time and he really couldn't come up with anything of that nature there was dusty dvorak beating up his best one a, a friend at a bar and getting kicked off the team for a year and then coming back and making himself a model citizen uh there are lots of issues like that the kind of run-of-the-mill issues so i don't know like he's gonna like late it, the, the narrative is gonna say that late in his career he you know, uh, he took more chances. He was willing to overlook certain things more. I, I, I don't know if that's true. If it was just odds catching up to him a little bit, um, I, it might be both. Yeah, I think it might be both. Um, it's very easy to talk about Mixon and, and DGB in the same sentence. Um, yeah, no, well, and, and all of them, all of them are very different from yeah. each other. There's just, there's a, yeah. a similar thread throughout there, obviously, but they were all Mixon different. to me just seems to be a, a situation apart because in the case of accepting troubled kids or, or kids that have incidents, that's such a wide blend. I mean, it's, it's a blanket term. We we don't really ever we, we can't agree on where to start what's acceptable in terms of someone ha- screwing up and then and then where to end and say, well that's just absolutely heinous. No, you should never be accepted back and to play college football or you know I don't, I'm talking outside of the criminal realm. Right. But so we can't agree on that in the media. Fans can't agree on that for because of you know bias and and obviously all that other stuff that comes along with being a fan and then. I don't know if society can. I mean, I think it's it, it, the Mixon thing stands apart because of the knowledge. The they doubled down on Mixon, right? 
kind of tripled down on him. Um, and I think, yeah, I think Stoops read it wrong. I think he... Well, he acknowledged it, too. Like, last December, he basically said, like, looking back, I yeah. don't think I could have gotten away. Like, I, you know, he, he, he and, phrased and, it very, in a particular way. To he, he Do you think to... he said that, Bill, because the video got out on uh, during yeah, the... It was, when he was asked about it, it was in, I think, if I remember right, it was pretty close to the after the, the video got out, yeah. Um, if I, well... I'm 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 mixing up my timelines, but um, I'm thinking it's it, I think it was pretty soon thereafter. I don't think he expected. Uh, I, I was told casually. I didn't work on a story or anything. I, I just remember hearing that from coaches like Bob didn't expect to take that much heat, you know, right? Because of the, I mean, obviously Mixon not an isolated incident at all, um, and there had been such there had been a certain level of uncertainty around it until the video came out. Um, I think he leaves a really interesting legacy. I think he's going to be a super fun. I'm shifting gears now. Argument, and I don't like I said last week. I don't really get into superlatives. I don't understand. Like I, I'm not particularly good at comparing things in sports. It's just not my strong suit. But when you talk about good to great to legendary coaches, and I always frame that by the time period. I don't know what you do with Stoops here because I think. A second national title, and you're talking about a completely different perception. Yeah. Um, regardless yeah. of the big game stuff, like to, to me, that's it's a fun meme, and it, it had some truth to it. But you know, he did stomp Alabama at the peak. Yeah. Of the no, I, I, the big game thing. I, I enjoyed writing a quick piece about that last, I guess, Thursday or so. Um, I, that was a, a hilarious meme because it went back and forth like four times. Um, so first, it was true. Big Game Bob was a, a true meme because you could not beat Oklahoma in big games. Like I, I define you can define this however you want. But looking at that piece I wrote last week, I just pulled it up. So basically, if you take Texas games, games against the top fifteen, uh, and then basically Big Twelve title games and BCS bowl games that didn't already fit into one of those categories, you use that as your little as your box for defining what a big game is. After they lost to Texas in like his whatever fourth or fifth game in charge. Uh, they played number 13 A&M and won by 45. They played number 11 Texas and won by 49. They pl- they won by 10 at number two Kansas State. They whooped number one Nebraska. They beat Kansas State in the Big 12 title game. They beat Florida State in the Orange Bowl. Uh, manhandled them, only gave up a safety late uh, to win the national title. The next year, they beat Kansas State again. Uh, and then they beat uh, Texas again, number five Texas again, that the 14-3, the, the Roy Williams game. Uh, do you want to pretend like we haven't, talked about that a lot and tell our stories again because those, those are fun stories to tell about Roy Williams. Um, and then yeah, in 2002, it's, only, it's only been like two weeks, right? And then in 2002, uh, they lose a couple games they shouldn't necessarily lose, but they beat number three, Texas. They destroy number nine, Ohio State, the Seneca Wallace year. They beat, they destroy number 13, Colorado. They destroy number 12, Colorado in the Big 12 title game. And then they destroy number seven, Washington State uh, in the Rose Bowl. Then they beat Texas and Oklahoma badly or Oklahoma State badly again the next year. It wasn't until the Kansas State game, that 03 Big 12 title game where they lost a big game. He had been there only almost what uh what like five full seasons before they truly lost a big game that's absurd that is a stretch yeah. that you don't that 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 is as good as any we've ever seen but then they they got destroyed by k-state they lost to lsu they won a couple uh, another couple big games the next year but then got destroyed by usc and that's when it became lol big game bob and then you know, um, the boise state and all of that stuff that happened and then they catch fire again then they go mediocre again and then they win their last four big games of his career so it was 
great, mediocre, great, mediocre, good is how he went, basically. I would say, uh, just real quick, as from house cleaning, a lot of fun stuff pops up on the internet in the wake of these kind of things. I would just say, you never say never to anything. I would be 99.9% certain he's done. Um, because he left a program with no deficiencies when he left, uh, and really, it's not like he's going to leave and then go get a better job. Um, I think he's happy. I don't. People are trying to compare this to the Meyer situation. I, I think those are very different. Um, I think Meyer knew that he was leaving Florida, and the way that he left Florida, obviously. We, we're not on his terms. He still wanted to coach. He was he was coaching with a with a health, with a deficiency. His health and I think Myers in a, maybe a different class. Not necessarily what they accomplished, but their kind of their personalities. Bob strikes me as very content. He got a national championship. He built a Oklahoma program that really was flat out bad when he got there. Those of you listening who are a little bit younger may not understand that. Like I think there was an anecdote inside. I don't remember which which column slash obit it was where he, you know, he called his shot at OU. When he was a defensive coordinator at Florida, he said Oklahoma should be a better program when interviewed and did it. <laughs> I don't think he's coming back is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I don't think he's going to be in the conversation for NFL coaching. No one in their right mind who decides that they're happy and satisfied <laughs> and want to focus on their family and health at that age then decides, I'm going to get into pro coaching. That's just not going to happen. No, but, uh, you know his his name will pop up, and that's fine. Well, yeah, his his name always pops up, uh, you know, no matter what. But I, yeah, I'm curious. Like I, I'd say you you said what one percent or something like that. I would say five or ten percent. Um, just in that, you know, he absolutely means he's retired now. Uh, and then a year or two goes by and he starts to think, you know, I've got some good time left in me. And then we go down that road. I, I, I think there's at least a tiny chance of that. I, you know, honestly, he, he would be great on television and I hope he goes on television because he, he'd be great like, on TV. If, if it's the Bob that you see when the TV camera's right. off, that's and what I think he's got to reconcile. Cause he doesn't have a program to defend at the moment. He's just talking football. And if you get him with the right partners and he loosens up a little bit over time, which they usually do. Uh, I think he would be fantastic on television, and I hope that's the direction he goes. The, uh, you know, obviously the we don't we're not in the man's head, but the reason I, I left that tiny tiny percentage open is like I'm reminded of my own father, <laughs> who retired, who was, who was being hitting mandatory retirement age as an active duty FBI agent, and was on the SWAT team and uh, hostage rescue tactics and all that stuff. Then got the, there's like a waiver or something, and he got the extra five years, and then he finally had to retire, like he absolutely had to retire as an active duty agent, and we had a big retirement party, and the next day he had three job offers, and I think he now works four and a half days a week, but sometimes also works the weekend, and my mom caught him, uh going on a raid with a local SWAT team yeah. that he does advising for. And my father is 60 something. I don't know. He listens to this podcast. Um, he was born in 53. So I'll do the math. Oh, hey, I don't know. You mine do. too. Yeah. Right. Okay. So my point is this, some people, the job is a function. I feel that way. You know, the difference for you and I, Bill, is that, uh, no matter what we do in our careers, the the I would say that the stress capacity thing is very different than coaching. Yeah. And obviously, when you talk about being an athlete or a cop or something like that, your body's going to allow you to do that for a period of time. 
Um, and, and some people, athletes, have a really hard time reconciling that in their 40s and even late 30s. But maybe, Stoops, maybe, keep in mind, loaded, no concern for money. Yeah. His wife is like the czar of Mary Kay. Like, I'm not joking <laughs> about that, by the way. Like, I think his wife is like, I'm not saying it's a Tom and Giselle situation, but it, the wife is pulling down a lot of cash. They, have a, they just bought a huge, huge home on the Gold Coast in Chicago. I think he's going to enjoy life for a little while, but I also think that man left to his own devices, idle hands, and so forth. I just don't know, Bill, if he gets the itch and he has to satiate it, what do you do? You were at Oklahoma. I really don't think he goes to the pro game. No, I mean, at Florida, so, that's the one people were bringing up, and that would at least make some Oh, going back to yeah, – but if yeah. you go back to Florida, though, it's it's – what's the difference between that and Oklahoma? Well, I think so it was just be, the difference. So you're going to spend five, six years building, and then, and then you're that much older and dealing with the same stress? Well, I mean, I think the difference is you've been sitting out a year or two and you're ready to try again, and Oklahoma's not available because your guy Lincoln is in theory succeeding. So, that I mean, that's the draw. It's just basically – it's like uh, Spurrier to South Carolina. He, he got the itch. He came back, and that was what was available. And I, I think it makes a little sense just in, in terms of, you know, there's at least a chance that McElwain doesn't get a lot better and, and is pushed out in a year or two, and then, boom, Stoops' name is all over everything. Like, again, I'm talking 5%, yeah. 5 or 10% chance here. But I at least get that. You know, he, he's not going to come back and take, like, the Wyoming job. It's going to be a, you know, it would be a power – and it's I, you're right. It's not going to be NFL. It'll be a power conference, probably blue blood or close to it job or TV. That's that's what I'm thinking. You know, I think we've joked about this, but you always, you're always you always curious that if you take an a, a extremely good elite, I don't know, whatever, coach, and then he one day makes an about face and says, you know what? I'm going to go to Miami of Ohio, and I'm going to turn it into a world. <laughs> God, I wish somebody would do that. Don't tease me with that. Well, we've made that joke before. Like, what if Saban, Saban, Saban calls the press conference tomorrow, and he's like, you know what? I've done everything I can here. We have, what does he have, four titles, three titles yeah, at I'm Alabama? I'm going back to my alma mater. Kent I'm State. going Kent State. We're, we're going. I mean, a lot of people even, a lot of people have even d- done this fanfic thing where it's like, well, I mean, what if he decides that, you know, his heart is in the state of West Virginia? Yeah. And, and, and they move on from Holgerson. Like, good God. Anyway, um, moving on. To, it, it, it's interesting. We wish him well. Um, it's certainly a dynamic contrast between he and Art Bryles or he and pretty much anyone else that we talk about in the office. Oh, last thing I was talking about, uh, Riley. I said on the show a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the probability of certain jobs opening. So Riley interviewed at Houston. I can, I guess I can say all this now. Riley interviewed at Houston, uh, and, and throughout that process, Houston was very adamant about not getting into another uh, Tom Herman situation right away right. for obvious reasons. Riley's name, while he's interviewing at Houston, is also simultaneously sort of popping up in the right circles. And I'm not talking about like oh, I read it on a, on a message board. I'm talking about – Amongst people who sort of bring those 80s and those agents together, his name starts to float. And he's originally from Lubbock, went to Texas Tech. So Houston's concern, and really they couldn't be completely dissuaded by uh, Riley's representatives in this last cycle was, hey, there's a strong to certain chance that Texas Tech is going to move on from Cliff Kingsbury following the 2017 season. We want to know, are we going to be in another Tom Herman situation with you going to Lubbock? And the consensus was, that wasn't out of the realm of possibility. And a lot of people asked me privately, 
you and our coworkers had said, well, what's the difference? Like, why would you fire Kingsbury and hire Lincoln Riley? This is why. Um, he has a, just a, a red-hot reputation right now in yeah. assistant coaching circles. And, of course, one interesting other factor with, uh, with Riley, too, that I'm sure will, you know, one way or another it will be rectified or something. Uh, Brother Mike, Mike Stoops, is still the defensive coordinator uh, as, as of right now, and I assume as of 2017. It'll be kind of interesting. I know Stoops is encouraging Riley to make this his program, make it his thing. Um, so it'll be kind of interesting to see what happens if he brings in, like, a, a younger defensive coordinator, somebody who is not a Stoops uh, in future years, but um, you know when Pelini when Pelini gets a new head coaching job, then Mike can take over at Youngstown State, Circle of Life, etc. That might. Hey, you know what? Yeah, yeah. He wasn't. It, I think what yeah. we've seen with Rich Rodriguez right now is that uh, Mike Stoops didn't do that bad at Arizona. He couldn't. You know, he couldn't keep success going. But neither has Rich Rod so far. So it's it's a pretty hard job. He got it up to a certain level. He got them in the top ten at one point. Um, he's not a terrible coach, and you know that would be a, a, a decent rehab spot for him, I would say. Pelini is the interesting thing there. I just I, I'm curious to see what fan base and what athletic director is is ready to sign on there. Is, is ready to win nine games a year? Yeah. Well, that, but also just I think Bo would have to show some sort of change, some sort know. of fundamental personality change. I don't know. I mean, I think. You win consistently enough, and people will overlook that. And he made the FCS finals last year, so I don't think. And that's the other thing. I mean, it's not like he was toxic. It was not like he was breaking rules. He just doesn't like. He doesn't. He uh, he, he responds like a ten year old to criticism, uh, and or bad ref calls, basically. Uh, and yeah. otherwise, he's a good citizen, and he wins games, and and players seem to love him. So, I mean, I would say he wouldn't even have to really change. He just needs to continue succeeding at Youngstown State, uh, and he'll get another shot. I mean, Kent State's going to be hiring soon. That would be a great spot for him too. Hmm. Then he just does the Nebraska the Nebraska exile route and just goes and lives in the MAC for like fifteen <laughs> years. Yeah, hey, Solich. That's right. Well, I mean, Mike Riley in a couple of years, maybe he's available to take one of those jobs too, and we can just keep it going. We will, then this is how far we got off of Bob Stoops talking about Mike Stoops, talking about Bo Pelini, but now talking about Mike Riley. I think the the book on Pelini could be affected by how this, if the Riley thing goes down in the next year or two and how it goes down, because if that thing is interminable and there's a lot of like nasty stuff behind the scenes, it's not coming from Mike Riley because he's, he's no. you know, the, the sunny alternative to Bo Pelini. There's a there's a bigger problem at the core of Nebraska if that's the case, right? So. And I mean the one thing about Pelini that we know is I mean he's not behind the scenes angry. He he gets cranky in public if he's cranky. So, you know, it's funny like he said everything he said, but he was recorded yeah. without his knowledge. That's true. Not even by like a lawyer or a reporter or something like that. He was just someone was just like snitching on him. <laughs> That, to me, regardless of what he says, because he didn't say anything that horrible, is an indictment more on your fan base. But all right. yeah, That was an Arkansas yeah, move like, right there. Do you feel like Nebraska's turning into our new Purdue? <laughs> and I don't no, know. Wisconsin is our new Purdue. Because uh, as it gets pointed out to us on Twitter every week, we talk about Wisconsin every single week at, at some point. So if that's, if that's how we're defining our Purdue, then, then it's Wisconsin. Wisconsin is functional Nebraska. <laughs> It's Nebraska that has like a foothold and understanding of where it is in the Big Ten and how to succeed, whereas Nebraska is just aimless. All right. Wow. Sorry. 
Bill. Yeah. College football's coming back in video games. That's right. That? There is a college football team in a video in a football EA Sports video game soon. Um, I'm excited. We're sort of not lying here. <laughs> um, so what happened was, so EA Sports, uh, if you don't play video games, or if you're just like a casual fan and you play the college football games, E3 is going on right now, which is like the, I don't know, the Apple keynote or the Comic-Con of all things video games. And EA Sports had their press conference over the weekend and announced, like they do every year, that there would be a FIFA and a Madden and an NHL and all that stuff. But in Madden, they're going to have something that I think was, I think one of the NBA games has done this before with Michael B. Jordan, the kid from Creed and Fruitville Station and Friday Night Lights. There was like a story mode, essentially, in the video game in which you sort of work your way up through the NBA um, and like what it's like to be a rookie and then et cetera. And as you go, you become a superstar. So there is a story mode now in Madden. Um, and for those of you who don't know, Madden's team, like the people who make that game, are, I don't know if it's like largely made up, but there are some key people that used to work on the college game that are working on the Madden game. Obviously, there's no college game because of all the legal stuff that we've talked about. Um, Texas showed up. Yeah. Oregon, Oregon. showed up. Yeah. Um, there's a trailer. There, you can go to SB Nation. Uh, if one of us remembers, we'll throw it in with the podcast link when this goes up. Um, a breakdown like and, and, you know if you've played one of these you know exactly what I'm talking about there's like I think Dan Marino shows up um, I'm going to butcher this guy's name even though I've seen a ton of stuff that he's in uh, Marishala Ali who is uh, if you watch House of Cards he's Remy and uh, he's in Moonlight if you've seen Moonlight so he plays uh, I think some sort of like I don't know uncle or something like that involved so so I don't think you can play an NCAA game in it. Like, I don't think you can. It looks like the kid in the pictures is like, I think he's a at one point a quarterback at Texas. Now, they do have Texas, like those are the official Texas uniforms in Oregon. And I'm looking, like you see the Nike logo. Obviously, like they have player names on jerseys, but those are all fictitious players. So, I mean, it looks pretty real. I don't think you'll probably play the game, though, as Texas. No. I think it's probably a cutscene. Right, and there might be like certain, I don't, well, I don't know. They could do this in a few different ways. There might be parts of game to play or something, I don't know, but. I mean, obviously the games used to have the same engine. Usually the college engine would right. be the year before's Madden engine. Um, and they would modify it. I think that's still the case. I don't know. Um, or I think that, I'm saying, I, like, I think it's, I don't know if legally they could, though. We'll have to find out. We have some friends. We'll have some friends to see if you can actually just fire it up and start, and then you get to play at least as the University of Texas against Oregon. All I know is... We would be happy with. All I know is I appreciate knowing that Madden is really just a giant engine and conspiracy for NCAA football. This just kind of proves it. So we're going to get that damn game back at some point. I mean... No one is going to talk, and no one has talked, and we've we've talked to people at length. But as far as going on the record, if someone, I think if if some side could just figure out how to make the PR, the optics work, I don't know if it's like a profit sharing thing or if you if you go with like offering 
scholarship money out of the revenue. I don't know. We've talked about Right, no, I mean, part of it is just... Bring the damn game back. (laughs) Part of it is the pure logistics. Like, even if uh, the players eventually get to be... Get to make money off of their likeness, which is obviously the biggest thing on the table, then you have to figure out, okay, how do they sign that away? Like, is it part of your scholarship agreement? Is it, like, does every single student athlete have to sign a release of some sort uh and then you know the the team still have to sign off on their individual like on on the team likeness and logos and all that so it is a i think the biggest thing is like a you got to figure out the the pay the making money off your likeness situation and then b the just the paperwork involved is is going to be the second biggest hurdle i think maybe I'm still staring at this. I know it doesn't make for a good podcast, but I'm thinking there's a high school game you play. So I'm guessing that the college stuff for liability is just cutscenes, unfortunately. Um, however, what if we all just played this version or whatever? I don't know if that even sends a message. The problem is the message that you send is to people who just don't even have a capacity for understanding like the game or, or video games or why right. it was EA, special. EA doesn't need to be sent a message. They know. It's, it's, oh, I mean, I, th- I think if there was legislation, if there was some sort of compromise tomorrow, they would they would go ahead and just flat out make the announcement, hey, uh, July of <laughs> 2018. Us, I was going to say, give us a month and we'll get this damn game <laughs> out, yeah. I, I think I think for sure by July, if, yeah, because it used to be July. So they, they would say July of 2018, we'll have... Uh, you know, we'll have NCAA, NCAA football 19 or, or NCAA football and thin or whatever they want to call it. And, and yeah, they would, they would announce the game a year, a year and change out in development because people would go nuts. <laughs> else for that would be to the roof. Um, unfortunately, as I, as I record this, I'm staring underneath my desk at this hulking PlayStation three that I still keep hooked up just in case I want to fire up some, uh, some NCAA. So it'll live on. I'm sure the rosters are already out for next, for this fall. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Only problem is you can't play a lot of teams now, right? So when this, when we're frozen in time on that, uh, it's the Johnny Manziel senior year, right? Or senior year last year, and there's no like none of our none of our friends that are newcomers to the Sun Belt and the CUSA. They're not in the game, <laughs> right? No Coastal Carolina, no Georgia Southern, no App. There's still there's a lot of stuff missing, man. We gotta, you can't build anything from scratch. If the game had been, and this is the last thing I'll say. So I was told by people who were like way smarter about this than I am. If the game had been released on PC, that means essentially that it could have been modded, which is a term where they, you, people can go in, get into the, the actual code of the game. Fans do this all the time for different kind of video games and manipulate it to do fun stuff with it. Um, you could have had a mod on, on PC that would be floating out there, you know, illegally, but you could still be able to download it where it would have like, not only the rosters, but it would have like every stadium and logo and everything right. up to date because the fan community, you know, the fan community would do that in a heartbeat. So, as it stands, I don't think you can fully create a stadium and a team and the logo on that engine of that game. So, it's worth mentioning, Bill. <laughs> I'm going to buy Madden now. Oh, yeah. I, well, I, I said, he- Wait, is Brady on the cover? I think Brady's on the cover. Just Brady's just, on the cover. Just. Cut yes, the, the goat edition. Oh, that's right. Yeah, just 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 get rid of the cover. Just t- just get the disc. Like take a sharpie and draw the devil horns and all that. Okay. Anyway, Bill, get me out of here. Power rankings. Pac-12 power rankings. Hey, you're still doing a preview. 
Yeah, I'm not this week because I am leaving this afternoon, um, and I didn't want to figure out how to balance that. I wanted to give Rutgers my full attention. Um, <laughs> That's a so, phrase no one has ever said. So, yes, the, the, we are taking a, a week-long hiatus in the previews. But on Friday, the Pac-12 power rankings went up, and I actually um, – I mean, I referred to our conversation with Mitch Light last week about it because, um, well, because it was applicable. I think it's USC versus Washington. That's the most interesting conversation we can have at this point. Stanford is waiting as a usurper. Uh, They could uh, completely negate a lot of the conversations we've been having. But as it currently stands, I mean, USC and Washington were the best two teams last year. They both return a ton of their big name guys from last year. And they both have basically a single unit to really, really rebuild for USC. It's the offensive line for Washington. It's yeah. the uh, defensive backfield. And um, so, I mean, I, I really, it's an interesting thing and it's just kind of a fun thought experiment. I, I know Mitch said that, you know, Chris Peterson, uh, having Chris Peterson kind of gave Washington a little bit of an edge. I ended up going with USC. I think, a, they were, you know, they ended up almost dead even. It was seventh and ninth, seventh for Washington and S and P plus, and USC finished ninth. But that was with, that was counting the first month of the year. And um, you know, I think USC after three games was a better offensive team. Well, I mean, a decent amount better, I guess, uh, than Washington. And defensively, after the first four games, uh, I don't think they were as good as Washington, but they ended up pretty close. So. I think they were a better team when they had Sam Darnold, and they still have Sam Darnold, and the, I think they get the edge. Plus, if we want to do a little stat argument here, uh, you know, the, all the numbers that I've you know crunched and whatnot through the years say that it's harder to rebuild a secondary quickly than an offensive line, and so that means Washington's one big question mark might be a little bigger. So that's that's why I ended up going with USC there. Never happens this way. No, 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 no. Like I said, it's a thought experiment. And then 30 other things will happen and we'll not talk about this ever again. But right now it's a thought experiment. But in in terms of the chalk, they need this. I think the conference needs this because you could potentially have a play-in game in your title game. And the Pac-12 has not looked great in its title game. They've had the the scheduling quirk. I'm going to look this up as I speak, but I don't think that they've announced the, the championship game time yet. So it flips between Friday night and Saturday. Um, I'm still of the opinion that the year that McCaffrey McCaffrey could have had a spotlight game and got moved into Saturday could have helped him win the Heisman Mm -hmm. was my argument a couple years ago so um, this could be a playing game which would be huge for the conference so if they meet in San Francisco a week before uh, or a week before before the Heisman that would be perfect sure I I do think um there's potential for weirdness here. Stanford, first of all, does play USC early and Washington late um, and hosts Washington, which means, you know, I, and I mentioned this in the preview too, like the, my power rankings aren't about like odds of winning the, the conference. It's about pure strength and nothing else. But I, I ranked USC number one in terms of pure strength. They also have, I think, by far the best chance of winning the conference simply because they have the best chance of making the conference title game because Stanford could wreck all of Washington's plans. So, um but yeah, Stanford has a couple questions to answer, sure, but they're they're pretty close, and I do think they'll they'll be fine. I think really with the Stanford offense, I mean, having Chris if he's healthy and he develops, that's that's going to be good. But also, I think they I, they kind of fell victim to 
like when you have a star, a guy you're trying to, to make a Heisman run for and all that other stuff, I think sometimes you end up almost losing any sort of other identity offensively. You just, the whole offense <laughs> is like, Hey, we need to get, we need to get Christian as yards. And, um, you know, they, they ended up having a pretty good game offensively, a decent game, at least offensively without McCaffrey or in the end, Chris in the bowl game against North Carolina, um, I think they could be pretty decent offensively just for the simple fact that they kind of have to refresh a little bit uh, and figure out what they've got. And that can usually, you know, that can get the creative juices flowing. I think the interesting thing here, uh, one thing I picked up on that I, isn't really an interesting storyline for any sort of national title purposes. But when I did the Big 12, uh, one thing I'm, I noted about the Big 12 is that the bottom of that conference it seems to be improving. Kansas should be a decent amount better this year. I think Iowa State could be downright solid. Um, Texas Tech obviously will be really good on one side of the ball at least. But I think – Always. But there, um, there aren't necessarily – um, the, the sure outs aren't as sure in the, in the big 12. And I found myself kind of thinking the same thing with the PAC 12. Maybe this is just me being optimistic. I don't know. Maybe it's a, it's not true at all, but Arizona and Arizona state both plummeted last year and both should rebound a decent amount. I don't know if it'll be enough for rich rod, but I think they'll both be better. Um, I think Oregon state t- could be the, like, like Iowa state. I think Oregon state could be a, a good step or two better. They were really close last season in a lot of games. Uh, they, they have a really nice offensive identity and I think their defense will be pretty good again. Uh, still can't pass, which will hurt, but you know, I think they will be solid. Um, so I think, yeah, I think the, at least probably three of the four worst teams in the conference will be better. And, and that again, leads to a situation where they're just, there are t- tougher outs and, uh, more opportunity for chaos. And, um, you know, that's pretty fun. Take away Sark for a second. Okay. Because, <laughs> he, wasn't, because he wasn't fired for not winning football games. Okay. I'm sitting here without anything in front of me trying to remember the last time someone was fired. A Pac-12 job opened because a coach was fired for not winning football games. Oregon. Oh, God, that's right. (laughs) Sorry. This is off-season fun. Okay. My point is this. Here's why I wasn't thinking about Oregon. That's still one. That's still only one. Yes, but here's why I wasn't thinking about Oregon. The last two years, we would come to those college football meetings and say, it's so tranquil out there. Right, I would talk to these like it's so it's so chill. How long can this last? Where no one is on, no one in the bottom tier is on the hot seat. That's what always amazed me about the Pac-12. Whereas now, the reason I didn't think about Oregon is because they're you know they're a top tier team. Uh, so I think Oregon State is fine in their situation, but Arizona, Arizona State, uh, UCLA being like a mid-level team. My point is this: you're gonna you're going to see some change in the Pac-12 this year, like. Not everybody's getting out of this situation alive. <laughs> that that tranquility is going to expire. Yeah, I would say in the end, I, I kind of assume Graham will be safe, although I could be wrong about that. But, yeah, I mean, Arizona's interesting. Uh, UCLA is very interesting. Let's see, Utah's safe. Oregon State, Colorado, Washington State is all safe. So that'd be it, but those are still – I mean, UCLA well, we for say all... Washington, look, Wazoo, yes, theoretically. But weird things happen with Leach. <laughs> Well, yes. I mean, he could he could randomly retire to sail the uh, you know sail around the world or something. But um, I think we may see more change in the Pac-12 than we know this year. We better not, because in my piece, I talked about how Washington State is a weird job, and sometimes uh, really good coaches leave quickly, but Leach appears to be staying. That better not be a damn jinx. That's all I'm going to say. Well, but here's my thing. My pushback on that is: so we just got done, and I'm not trying to be too circular here, but. 
Stoops obviously had a plan and an end game. He got his national title and all that. How long is Leach going to be Leach at a, at, a, at a Power 5 school? I mean, how many more years can we expect him to do this stuff? Like 30? I don't he know. obviously has so, – so national title is not sort of in the in the name of the – that's not the mission when you're at Texas Tech and Washington State. So how many more years is Leach going to do this? A lot, I think. I mean, he's, he's not an old guy. Uh, but I also think that he has – I think uh, at a certain point he's going to develop interest and just get tired of the, some of the – you know, the back-end stuff. By the way, I think you can hear my co-host yes. in the background. Yes, um, Yeah, sorry. We ha- I have, I'm on emergency babysitting duty, so this is uh, so James Godfrey is not cooperating. But um, I don't know. I think I'm not – this is no insider information whatsoever. What I'm saying is it's been too calm and too quiet <laughs> in terms of coaching stability on the bottom end of a Power 5 conference, and eventually with the amount of money that's at stake – you will see change for change's sake. And I think this is the year. Now, I will say, I mean, Leach is the same age as Stoops, which is kind of a jarring thing to to realize. But, um, no, I mean, I, I, I think Leach has figured out kind of a low-stress way to perform in a high-stress job. And um, I my vision of Leach is he does this for quite a long time. Now, I, I mean... Okay, now I've got the preview jeeks going. I said he's he he's staying, so yes, he will definitely leave after this year. Maybe he'll leave tomorrow, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I I mean I that's my view of Leach is very. Also, very keep in mind Washington becoming a national power. We think, yeah, those schools play off of each other. Okay, yeah, well, uh, oh, do we have any questions? My co-host is getting angry. Yeah, we start with a question that it wasn't actually a PAPN question. I just really like it. Um, so, yeah, my last preview on Thursday was Washington. My next preview uh, is Rutgers. Uh, we have taken to apparently calling this the Bill C. Preview Whiplash, where we go from great team to terrible team uh, in, from conference to conference. Uh, Brian McGuire asks, is Washington at Rutgers week one the first ever Bill C. Weep, uh, Bill C. Preview oh. Whiplash Classic? Is it? I, it feels like there's another one, but I, I, this might be it. And, and even if there was another one, this is a pretty, pretty, jarring, uh, pretty jarring shift here. Uh, it's going to be another long season for my beloved Scarlet Knights. I need something to get excited about here. The excitement here is that they're playing Washington, and it's a whiplash classic, the end. That's the most exciting thing about Rutgers in 2017, apparently. So you know how like I always get pretty fired up about non-conference series. Like I got on Twitter last Friday night, and I was like, "Oh man, Wazoo and Houston! Yeah. That's what we want to see." Why the hell did Washington sign with Rutgers? So here's here's a reminder that until two years ago, Rutgers was a solid program. They were weird and dramatic and and frustrating. But no, I don't. I get that, but you can't find someone like on in your part of the globe. Like that's a long trip to take. No offense, but there's no appeal for the travel if you're Washington to go to Piscataway. It's New York's team. It's like right. It's right next to New yeah, York, uh-huh. right? So just like uh-huh. you can go to Times Square and yeah. then go to a Rutgers it's, game. That's how it all yeah, works, right? right? Yeah, you can walk there. Yeah. Um, I just I, I don't know. That one seems odd, but and also like, what benefit does that give Washington? Yeah, you're playing a nine game conference schedule, and then that's your that's your. Uh, your power five. Well, it's pack. It's Big Ten, Pack Twelve. It's a historic uh, Big Ten, Pack Twelve. It is. It is jarring. Like, was by the way. Purdue busy? <laughs> it is jarring. But hey, the rematch of two thousand one. Um, two years ago, two seasons ago, Rutgers was eight and five. Uh, they were destroying North Carolina in the uh, Quick Lane Bowl or whatever. 
Like that, this, 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 uh, fall happened just instantaneously. And, and I mean, it could be a year. This is my, we'll talk. We obviously have plenty of time to talk about the big 10. This is, I'm, I'm now talking directly to our friend, Brian McGuire, who apparently needs to be excited about something. Um, this could be a year zero situation. Rutgers defense actually wasn't all that bad last year. It was the that's, so was so was he in a year negative one. Well, or? that's they were fifty sixth in defense last year, defensive S and P. Um, it, this was all I last year was year zero. Well, no, I mean that's what I'm talking about. Last year being year zero. Oh, um, okay, okay. I was like, man, you're really giving them. Some no, no, no. Um, but they, I mean, their quarterback, like they just, the, the change to a new offensive system was a hilarious disaster, um, yeah. of, of, of dramatic proportions. And it was all passing too. Like they weren't even a wretched running team. They had a decent running back in, in, in this Robert Martin kid. They were, they weren't all that bad, but their quarterbacks. So their quarterbacks, they had four of them throw at least eight passes. Uh, Giovanni Resig- Resigno, Resig- Resigno, probably, um, he led the way with a 53% completion rate. Uh, and only taking uh, sacks on one of every 10 uh, dropbacks. So he averaged a cool 4.2 yards per pass attempt. Uh, the second guy, Chris Laviano, 4.2 pa- uh, yards per pass attempt with a 48% completion rate. Zach Allen went one for 12 with for minus one yards and three sacks, which is about as bad as I think you can ever see. Uh, and then Tylen Oden, freshman, uh, 6'5", 185, needs to eat a couple sandwiches. Went one for eight for two yards with a one sack. So both of them averaged negative yards per pass attempt. Uh, and they had a number, they had a freshman number one receiver. So they, like there was, it was so disastrous that it almost cannot literally be that bad. And if they get to just to where they're bad passing, they've got a decent run game and a decent defense. They will be a not completely awful team this year. There's my, there's my optimistic spin right there. James, be cool about Rutgers, man. I have to read something, okay? Um, so I did the anonymous scouting report at uh, for the Big Ten for in that Athlon preview. Oh, nice. And this one just sticks out to me because I contacted multiple people. It was hard to string together something positive. And I think this is so uh, the most positive thing you can find right now is that they've sold themselves well in recruiting. Come here and play right away, and you're in the Big Ten. That's the sell. That's pretty much, and it goes on for like 80 more words, but... That that's the nicest thing anyone could say, even off the record. Like that's pretty bad. Well, and the fact that you know you, you these little the little coach gossip things aren't necessarily meant to be positive, but the fact that it pretty much there's no point in piling on. So they had to find something positive to say. Exactly. You know, the funny thing is, like, it's not hard to get people to talk about poorly about I don't know Michigan or Michigan State. It was that they didn't even want to just say, hey, no. They're here for the TV thing. Everybody knows they're bad. But I will say, everyone likes Ash. I mean, I'm pulling here, but they do. <laughs> no, yeah, and that's – year zero can get really bad. Lou Holtz, 0-11 his first year at South Carolina. Like, it's not it's not over for decades for Rutgers uh, if Ash turns out to be a good coach. You just uh, – you know, we don't know a year zero situation until we're a couple years past it and we know, okay, see, it was year zero. Right? It, it could just be a disaster. They, they look the same for a year, and then we find out, so – they are – let me expound on this and give, give our guy Brian. Let me give Brian some hope. Okay. They have had presence and uh, uh, frequency of activity in, in the right high schools with the right prospects as if they are a 8-9 win Big Ten team. Like they're just act, act as if, right? That'll, like, right? That's what they're doing. So to me, if you continue to do that and they give you a, a super long schedule, like no one's putting any pressure on Ash, 
I think maybe over time you let that build. They just need to have both systems steady for a long time. They need to get good teaching coordinators, not not necessarily just guys who are going to come in and apply uh, a, a, like a healthy amount of talent into their system. That's not this job. You need teaching coaches because you're starting from the crater. Keep the systems and then just recruit your ass off for like four years. Which, everything I've just said, they're sort of doing. At least on the recruiting side. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know. I do think they need to win a game this year. They need to win a Big Ten game. <laughs> what hurt? I'm not trying to make a joke. Like, you need to go in there and upset somebody. I don't know. I mean, Purdue's in a, in a, a zero situation. Um, help me here. Uh, what team? Is it? It's just funny to hear people talk about the situation Chris, Chris Ash walks into and the situation Durkin gets at Maryland. Because that, that's been our joke about Maryland and Rutgers joining the league. People are a lot more bullish about Maryland's long-term prospects than they are Rutgers. Yeah, and I mean, I, I mean, a lot of that simply has to do with, I mean, a year ago maybe you could find a lot. Of, I don't remember where we stood on these two a year ago necessarily. But, you know, Maryland eked out a bowl bid and, and signed a really good recruiting class. And, and that's how you... That's how you do it. I mean, that's how you you build optimism for the future. Is you know you don't go two and ten or whatever one eleven or whatever whatever Rutgers went. It was real bad. Um, uh, two and ten, and then uh, you know that's just how you do it. You you win a couple games that you maybe necessarily shouldn't. Although I guess Maryland last year for the most part it was beat bad teams and lose to good teams, but still yeah they bowled. They signed a good recruiting class. They bowled with a young team of uh, you know that was really no more experienced than Rutgers was. I mean that's that's just that's how you build happy. I I think the confidence is is, is not necessarily Durkin's better than Ash because they uh, the very similar situations. Coordinators at, at super prestigious programs. They've got a great pedigree. They're well liked because they come off those staffs. But I think that you know the New York Eastern PA Jersey area that that. Rutgers would recruit to first is good. I don't know. Maybe we could ask Bud if it's as good as what you could do potentially at Maryland where you get to recruit Baltimore, Washington down into Richmond as your base. I think that's probably a little bit better just because of the size and the and the population stuff. Okay? Well, and beyond any of that, though, too, like Rutgers was a hot mess of an athletic program and yes, lots yes, more yes. Tur- lot, a lot more turnover on the roster. It was just a much less stable situation, even though neither team was very good or all that good in 2015. Um, it was just far less unstable at Maryland, and they were able to get going a little faster. Also, anecdotally, I we started talking about Rutgers, infant very upset. We started talking about Maryland, infant asleep. Well, let's there try. We go. We're going to try Boise I, State now. So, uh, our friend Ryan Sigurdsson, a couple oh, days man, ago, I hope he doesn't poop or something. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. Um, hey, guys, I'm looking through the upcoming 2017 schedule and trying to create create a scenario where Boise State could sneak into the CFB playoff. Uh, going through the major teams' schedules, I think I found a way. Uh, my final okay. ranking would look something like this. Here we go. Number one, USC, 13-0 Pac-12 champ. Number, okay. Oh, wow, okay, I didn't actually look at these rankings before. I Okay, this is good. Number two, Miami. I'm fine so far. Miami, number two, Miami. What? 12-1 ACC champ with a loss to Florida State. No. Okay, I'm out. Hey, if Miami has a quarterback, that's all they need. 
uh, that little pesky little quarterback thing. Yeah. Number three, Florida State, eleven and one, lost to Clemson big. That I, I, I'm, I'm guessing that's important. Um, Clemson is number twelve at ten and three, losing in the ACC title game to Miami. I, I, if you already know where he's going, score. All right, so yeah, you've got I, that. I number four, Boise State, thirteen and zero, Mountain West champ. Number five. Oh, I see what he. Yeah, I see what he did. Number yeah, five. Yeah. Eleven and two Ohio State Big tw- uh, Big Ten champ number six eleven and two LSU SEC yeah, champ yeah. number seven Texas LSU? ten and two uh, so basically the the scenario here is uh, yeah. you got your one uh, undefeated champ uh, you've got a one loss power conference champ and then another one loss team from that same conference and then a bunch of two loss conference champs it, it's basically it's weird it, it's weird how we went about building that because it's easier to do this. It's easier to assume what we – it's either – like it's almost Occam's razor, right? So Florida State and Alabama, as much as anything's a given, put those two in, all right? It's much easier to forecast the fact that let's say Washington has secondary issues and falls apart. USC is just is just bad in two games and ends up – Stanford ends up gumming that up to where there's a two-loss spread there, Okay. Mm-hmm. It's easier to do that. It's especially easier to do that when you talk about, well, he did this with the Big 12. And then the SEC, really, after Alabama, we've talked about this on several shows now. Where's the dominant, where's the, where's the super dominant program after Alabama? So my thing is just, just put Florida State and Alabama in there. Assume that the next, the next slot is going to be the Big 10 champion and then slot Boise and start making your argument from there and work backwards. It's still not possible with Boise's schedule. Yeah, it'll be tough. Um, and I think, like, as he po- he specified in this, too, like, all the other um, conference champs here, like, he has Ohio State 11-2 and two Big Ten champ, and he specifies that they get blown out by Oklahoma and Michigan. LSU. Doesn't matter. Um, what else? So Texas Ohio State gets- big to OU and USC, but still wins the Big 12, that kind of thing. Okay, but so, so let's stop right there. You said Ohio State 11-2 and two Big Ten champs. Yes. And they get blown out by Oklahoma and. Michigan. So they Michigan at the end of the season. Okay. Well, they still win the they still win the conference championship against. I guess I'm assuming he like a, a mediocre Wisconsin. Yeah, there it is. Wisconsin at eleven. They beat Wisconsin at eleven. They they still beat Penn State, who he they has going be- nine and three at best. He has Penn okay. State stinking too, basically. Okay. They still beat. I don't even have their schedule in front of me. They still beat. Do they play Wisconsin regular season this year as well? Uh, I have no idea. Um, Here's my point. An no, eleven and two, any way you cut it, an eleven and two Ohio State has two to three better wins than what Boise can offer. But That's two the bad problems. and I mean, at some point, they're not. I think the committee, but I, I really don't think they care about that anymore. I think it, it, their their quality wins is going to outweigh bad losses. Why are we on talk radio right now? Uh, yeah, and I mean, I you know, I'm I, I've made my case a couple of weeks ago that I'm very pessimistic about any P, uh, any G five situation at this point. But this is the scenario that we would need a, a, a Supreme Court precedent for from the committee. What do you do if there's an undefeated, and I'm assuming like an undefeated Boise State who also looks awesome. Like they're not beating, they're not winning every game by three points. Uh, they're not BYU 84. Uh, they're Boise State 2010 uh, in that they look awesome and they uh, blow out everybody they're supposed to blow out and they look the part. 
and then a bunch of other teams lose twice. I mean, that's that's the only scenario that gets them in, unless it's a Houston situation where you, you yeah, look... Yeah, you need so, an undefeated Houston. Right, well, right, but, but not even just an undefeated Houston. An undefeated Houston that also did really, really well the year before. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that's... Right now, that's... And the, only the ele- and an 11-2 and Oklahoma that they beat. And Louisville looking good. Right. Who they stomped. It needed all and those things. Did. They needed all those things. Uh, and then they also couldn't... Don't lose the name. Right. Or, and don't get blown up by SMU. Yeah. So... Yeah, we're still we're we're a bunch of pessimists on this damn show now, and it's, it's, it's no, it's not. It's just the, I, I this is this is man, I hate repeating segments, but this is why I'm bullish on eight. Is because you can go to eight, guarantee a slot, and then none of this is a problem. I'm I'm you know I'm totally okay with that. Um, I don't understand the the pushback. Then everyone talks about oh well, it's going to devalue the season. No, it's going to upvalue the season for well, what it'll do sixty for, odd teams, right? And uh, it will mean that, in a way, non-conference means nothing, and you can schedule whoever the hell you want non-conference because you can win your conference and make the playoff. Now, that wow. obviously opens up the door for a three or four loss national champion. Uh, and I know we're kind of a lot of people are scared of that. I'm kind of in that boat too. But I mean, mm-hmm. if, if that's a trade you make to get a lot better non-conference games, and and uh, you know that's a trade I'm willing to make to get G five in. It's it's all trades, and that I'm willing to make that trade. All right. Now, By the way, I, I just I just checked real fast. You 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 gave me an idea, but it's not a good one. I, I looked to see if SMU could pull something off, and they, they just they don't have no one has it. USF that they're was at, the one we talked about. USF is the yeah, team that has the schedule to do it. And they're but they're the at SMU. Their non conference is Arkansas State at TCU, well, North Texas, and Stephen F. Austin. If That's TCU were to like go ten and two or eleven and one, then maybe. But yeah, you go, you kind of need to talk this. I think we've already debunked this anyway, but again, just just so everyone's talking about Charlie Strong, South Florida non-conference at San Jose State, Stony Brook, UConn. Oh wait, sorry, UConn's uh, conference game. Uh, San Jose State. Duh, how could San Jose State on the USF are in the same conference? Of course, yeah. Stony Brook, Illinois, and UMass. Oh, I thought they had two power conference. (laughs) No, I guess not. Never mind. Never mind. They're hanging their hat on the Illini. <laughs> but that always works yeah. out really well for you. Um, as we know, you can only – the only path, uh, national title path that involves Illinois is losing to Illinois like Ohio State did, and they still made the BCS title game in 07. All right. Uh, PAPM mailbag question from uh, Matthew – our friend Matthew Atkinson with a hotmail.co.uk email address. The AD at Texas A&M publicly put Kevin Sumlin on the hot seat for 2017. A lot of articles afterwards discussed the negative effect of these comments on recruiting because of the uncertainty over the future of the program as to whether Sumlin remains after the season. Is it always the case that teams recruiting takes a hit when there is a, this uncertainty? In the weeks since the Aggies, in the weeks since the Aggies have pulled in some impressive commitments from, uh, or including Grant Gunnell from the 2019 class, who's a four-star QB. Cheers, Matt in the UK, not Kentucky. Um, so my, I, I don't think this has that big an impact on recruiting because when you're selling your program, when Kevin Sumlin's trying to sell his program, he's like, yeah, we're going to kick butt this fall. Then we're going to kick butt again next year. And then everything is going to be great. And you're going to come and be a part of that. So the scenario of, I might not win enough this fall and I might get fired. Well, that's not, that doesn't exist when Kevin Sumlin's recruiting because he is only on the hot seat if he loses and he's not planning on losing ever again. That's my 
Um, yeah, it comes out in the wash. Um, I hard hard to put a stamp on a yes or no here because early signing period is going to be super interesting for a coach like that who is winning but not winning enough. Um, I'm going to go ahead and kind of kick that can down the road a little bit. I think early signing period could could affect how we I, how we make that call. I, Possibly, yeah. I need to be a little more convinced, I think, I just because it's not like an August early signing period. If it was like an August thing where you could basically say, hey, look, you keep me. I Look at these four stars I got lined up for next year. Yeah. Um, you, be, they'll have already made the hire or fire decision by the time the December signing period comes around. We just don't know what the internal messaging is right. on that. No, I, I, don't, I don't really know for sure what it'll affect, but I'm not completely convinced that'll have that much of an effect. We'll see. I talked. I talked about this when it was when it first got serious when they were putting the proposal up that coaches would be would yeah would be able to manipulate the the December slot of enrollees and signees as equity against a that extra one or two losses those extra two one or two losses so Texas A and M might be the exact place where that would happen because they are able to recruit at a very very high level they're in the state of Texas. Um, and so if there's some unrest at eight and four this year, but he flips somebody off of Texas around Thanksgiving, you know, you don't have to really hold on to them as long to, to kind of seal the deal, I guess. But yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, and I'm grasping at straws yet because I, I, I'm curious to see how this whole thing works. I'm, I'm just I give a rip about when you sign the kids, but putting it at that period of time is going to be incredibly problematic for schools I, I the coaches specifically and also I, I really do think it's the kids and you talk about post signing day screw jobs right. where you get you get recruited by an assistant and then he leaves you I think you're gonna see a lot more if you get recruited by an assistant you sign in December and he's fired fired or that's gonna yeah I mean he or promoted or whatever yeah well, because assistants are gonna be assistants usually get fired in tears right and and most people don't realize that like so let's say the day after Thanksgiving uh like a, a, the Black Monday situation going into Heisman week, your school fires their coach. They don't fire the assistants. Most people don't realize, like, they fired your head coach. Right. Your contract at that university as a university employee continues, and you are expected to do your job. If you're a 6-6 six and six team and you're going to a bowl, you're, you know, one of you will be the interim head coach. You'll coach that. But then also, even if that's not the case, even if you're 2-10 and 10, uh, and you're the running running backs coach at a school. You have to go as as you would recruit, file your reports, do your evaluations, work on the evaluations for the following year's class, and still clock hours. Now, of course, the entire time you know that there's a there's a slim to none chance that you're being retained by the next head coach. But to compound that and put a signing day in front of that is fascinating to me. Yeah, the timing of it. Uh, yeah, I'm really. August would have been even more fascinating, obviously, because of the space. But yeah, the t- thinking of everything that's going on in mid-December in terms of hiring and firing and bowl prep yeah. and all these other things, it is interesting. August probably screws the kid the m- worse. Well, I, and um, that always that all kind of depends on whether you think uh, like having to quote unquote settle for a. Uh, second tier for like you know the the kids who can well I mean I'm a Missouri guy we'll use Missouri the the kids who commit to Missouri and then at the last second get the Ohio State offer and flip um, does it screw those kids to not get that Ohio State offer at the last minute or are they going to be just fine uh, 
at the at the original school of commitment or even, you know, so I'm not just whining about Missouri. Missouri flips kids from like Houston and other schools like that in the same way. Yeah. Um, so that that last second flip is what that would really, really eliminate. And that's only if they sign. Uh, they don't have to sign in August. But yeah, I mean, that's I. I it, it certainly doesn't give the kids more freedom, but I'm not sure how much it takes away. But anyway, um, we're going to end on. I know we do a lot of doomsday prep, Bill. Like we talk about, you know, we just had the future of football piece. We had your your commit. The conceit of your commission piece is that we are trying to fill a gap that, that really needs to be filled. That doesn't exist technically, but we need the oversight. We need a steadier hand. Right. And I don't like I know. So what I'm saying is we've played alarmist. We've kind of played doomsayer a little bit at SB Nation. But this is just another example of me thinking like it's not really hard for a bad, bad situation to happen with these new rules where you have kids that are trapped in with a, with a staff that they didn't want or, or stuck. I think this just this has more potential to, to compound the lack of agency for student athletes more than ever. And eventually the bow will break, man. Right. And, and, you know, if I'm, you know, with my commission platform, like I, I would be totally willing to explore these things for, you know, they don't have to automatically be unfair, unfair to the kids. Let's put it that way. It's just that there has to be some sort of safeguard in place, especially if we bump a, a signing day up to August or whatever, that if the head coach, if the coordinator, if the third assistant of your choice is uh, he leaves for another job or is fired or whatever, then you can get out of your na- your letter of intent. Like that's that piece kind of has to be in there as well. But um, anyway, like that. Yeah, the, the rules themselves don't have to necessarily be directly unfair. It's just we know how this works with the current uh, way college football plays out. It would end up unfair because everything ends up unfair. Um, last, I guess we'll do one more question here. I, I, I have no idea how long we've gone here. Um promotion and relegation yeah last one so um a friend kurt morton is another email that wasn't necessarily papn but by god you know i'm gonna do it anyway because we didn't i i did not subject you to an hour-long conversation about promotion or relegation after i put out that ridiculous dork uh, simulation piece a couple of, uh, weeks ago um all i had to do is have a baby to get out of that that's right uh our friend kurt morton love the podcast and the data-driven conversation you bring to it uh i have two questions about the promotion or relegation plank of your platform would this system include parachute payments to those being relegated this is what the, uh, the english premier league does to help those clubs relegated to the championship uh to help ease the burden of losing all that revenue since the revenue gap between p5 and g5 is so high i fear that a true promotion relegation system would uh, need some cushion for those being relegated i'll go ahead and say like if i'm commissioner and i'm trying to get this uh, instituted purdue's always going to make a certain chunk of the big 10 money those top t- yeah, those those tier one schools will always will have to be promised this. They will always get a certain amount of that money uh, no matter what happens. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, in, in that sense, yeah, that ends up being kind of a parachute pay- payment. Um, but there would have to be that structure in place. Uh, his other question is uh, many Premier League players have a clause that makes transferring easier for players on a relegated team. Uh, would you allow players oh, to not have to sit out a year if they transfer from a relegated team back to one in the tier they were in previously? That gets so amazingly messy very quickly, but maybe no. We there would have to be. I I could see the logic behind allowing. So I can't I can't decide what yet because that that would be just a massive free agency period and like yeah you get Vanderbilt gets relegated or I guess in my twenty in my simulation in twenty sixteen Missouri got relegated. 
you you have like 35 kids. Well, no, I mean, if you're talking about tier one, that means a tier one kid would, or a school would have to take them. Um, but there would at least be eight or 10 players that, that could transfer immediately and you would just get uh, decapitated when you get relegated at that point. That would be tricky. Um, but the whole freedom of movement and, and being fair to the players, et cetera, you know, there could be an argument in favor of something, but that gets pretty weird pretty fast. Yeah. I'm going to still say no. I agree. It's too much volatility. The swings would be too impactful. Yeah, it, would be a, it would be incredible swings, and it really would become even more like a free agency thing than everybody complains about the grad, the grad transfer rule being. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, Bill. Uh, so a couple of half-cleaning notes. Um, we are going to be back next week, and then we are going to take two weeks off. Yes. So... If I was going to do the house cleaning note, I probably should have put it on the pod or put the calendar up. Um, yes, so we're going to be back next week, um, and then we will take a break for the valley, as I often refer to it. Um, we'll, we can go extra long next week to kind of cover the gap, and then we will be back. Because guess what, Bill? You know, uh, this is terrifying for me, exciting for most people. We're going to do a show next week, all right? And then the last week of June, the first week of July, we're off. Then we're back. And it's it's on. Yeah. Like, here we go. It's media day season at that point. Like, it's basically the season. I think I just got sick. <laughs> what? Our off season is over. Yeah, what what does the kid have to say about that? Um, I think he's pooping. I think uh, he's pooping. I don't know, his eyes are shut. He doesn't he doesn't know yet. He hasn't this kid's never even seen a college football game. Um yeah, so we will be back. Uh, we'll be back next week, and then we'll be back starting Monday, the tenth of July, and we will be just running through as many college media days as possible. I've got a bunch of campus visits lined up, and then we go, we go, go, go. The season cometh, and then also, I guess we can go ahead and say this, Bill. Uh, based on feedback and numbers and stuff like that, we are bringing the Sunday show back. Yes, and the Sunday show will start when Bill. It's really, it's kind of at Bill's. Not whim, but behest in that when whenever we want to start using the S and P plus as an accurate reflection. I mean, we can do it Labor Day weekend if you want. Yeah, I mean, I would say. I mean, that's the first time there's an update on Sunday. So uh, is that when we did it last year? Yeah, I think so. Now, will you hold it because of Monday games or no? Oh right. Um, Last year we started week two. Yeah. Duh. Yeah. That I probably won't do it till Tuesday. So yeah. Okay. So we will bring back starting on Sunday, September tenth. We will bring back the like the hang you know the hangover thirty minute show where we run through the top twenty five kind of sometimes thirty of the S and P plus break down what you guys saw on Saturday and then we will keep the Wednesday show the same it will just take on a little bit more form and structure as we go week to week um, but the plan so that would be September tenth for the Sunday show two weeks off after next week. And then we are going to try and hit Wednesday on the nose as much as we can moving forward. So um, we're a little early this week because of travel. We're going to try and hit Wednesday. As, as, it's just that we're both traveling. Um, but that's the plan from here on out. So we appreciate your uh, you guys listening. You can subscribe, rate, love us. We've got some more stuff in the works. Uh, we're, we're pretty excited just about just the show itself. Um, try and take it somewhere where Bill and I go during the media day cycle. And I guess that's it for now. Bill, enjoy your uh, your college football travel. That's right. I'm I'm traveling for work. Look at you're me. Nomad. I'm yeah, a you're nomad like myself. Um. Well, this kid's not crying, so I'm uh, I'm gonna get the hell off this podcast and before he starts crying again. Enjoy. <laughs>